Financial cops now answer to a mafia boss. The international fraud pushing Australia to war. Coming up on today's show. to the Citizens Report for the 3rd of December 2021. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party leader and founder Craig Isherwood. Welcome. Yeah. Thanks, Lisa. Today's show, we're going to be discussing the government's real response to the Royal Commission, which is battening down the hatches and putting the foxes in charge of the hen houses. And secondly, we're going to talk about the passage of a law in the Parliament yesterday, which is based on an outright fraud. Now, don't forget to hit the like button if you enjoy the show. Subscribe and hit the notification bell to be informed of new upcoming shows and share this as widely as possible to get the word out. So, uh, actually, first, before we get into the two main topics, we want to remind viewers about the Regional Banking Task Force, um, which is has been convened to discuss the absence, of the you know, just ridiculous absence of banking at the local and regional level uh, by um, the government and uh, parliamentary task force. Now, we need to flood that task force with submissions demanding a postal bank. We're going to be mobilising post offices around the country, uh, local communities in every way, shape and form. So you can click on the link, um, hit the information button or look in the box below and you can find all the details where you can make a submission to this task force demanding that the face of banking in this country must be changed in a really serious fashion. So and don't forget to do that. Yeah, sorry. I mean, people should look at those, uh, you know, links down below because one of, one of our supporters actually had a joke to one of our um, organisers here and says, oh, you guys make it really easy to do submissions. <laughs> Too easy. Too easy. <laughs> oh, well, that's great because we do want to make it easy because you know, this is something that's very important for ordinary people, yeah. people who think they're disempowered to say just write you know, what they think needs to happen in this country. The more that happens, the more that we mm. get change. It's as simple as just sending them an email and you've got to the 18th of December, which is, I think, the end of next week. Um, so, on to our first topic. Financial cops now answer to a mafia boss. Now, all our viewers would be well aware, look, we had a Royal Commission in this country which was a long time coming. It unearthed, you know, incredible fraud going on by the banks, criminal activities and, you know, it was made very, very clear, even by the government, that those banks had to be held accountable. Yeah, that's right, but at least this is in the backdrop of the Morrison government, particularly Scott Morrison, when he was the treasurer, he did not want to have this Royal Commission. Yeah, oh yeah. Right, because, look, there's an enormous amount of money gets paid to the Liberal Party by the banks in order to support them in their electoral positions, and they don't want to lose that support, so therefore they become mm -hmm. literally the mouthpieces for the banks. So Scott Morrison many, many times rejected the idea of a Royal Commission. It wasn't only until there was enough political force against him that he finally relented. So there was no way you could you could see almost forecast that there was no way that this royal commission was going to be given any air, you know, any ca capacity to really uh, tackle the, the 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 substantive issues. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it did. 
-hmm. and we got tremendous results, but then the government has literally buried that. Yeah, I mean, and they had to scramble to bury it. As you'll see in a moment, yep. we'll show a clip of what Treasurer Frydenberg said after the Royal Commission. You know, they were in the hot seat. They really had to move with some fancy footwork to keep their, you know, cover their behinds, uh, essentially. But look, a, a brilliant metaphor for the situation we've come into as a result of their non-action is uh, the movie The Untouchables, where the Chicago cops were on Al Capone's payroll. Um, now, I want to start by showing this brief clip. This is a former ASIC lawyer in their regulatory policy branch, James Wilden, and he was interviewed on the drum. This is in 2018, right during the Banking Royal Commission. And this gives you an insight into the um, acknowledgement of what has been going on from the standpoint of the regulators. I left ASIC in despair because it was captured by the banks. That's, that's the short answer. Uh, I went to join ASIC because I wanted to work in the public service uh, for the benefit of everybody. And I was told as a lawyer in the regulatory policy branch of ASIC that my job was to deliver for the banks. And I was told more or less in exactly those terms. By whom? I was told by the head of the regulatory policy branch. So it was an open secret that the regulators were captured by the banks. Now, listen to what Treasurer Josh Frydenberg had to say after the Royal Commission. This is what he was forced to say. My message to the financial sector today is that this misconduct must end. And you must put the interest of consumers first. Consumers must be treated honestly and fairly. My message to the Australian community today is that your government is committed to making this happen. In responding to this report and taking action on all 76 recommendations, we are putting in place the legislative framework which provides the regulators with the powers and the resources to hold those who abuse our trust to account. Alisa, we already knew that Josh Frydenberg was disingenuous in terms of what he was talking about. I can remember the, the, the period of time when Haynes gave Josh Frydenberg the report for the Royal Commission and he refused to shake Josh Frydenberg's hand because he knew this was going to be stitched up, this was going to be buried because the government had no intention at that point, and Haynes knew it, of following through on his recommendations. Absolutely, and one of the things that the um, Haynes Royal Commission had recommended was to set up a watchdog for the watchdogs, a body to oversee the regulators. Um, Josh Frydenberg has not only, I mean, disingenuously uh, implemented that, he's actually put Al Capone as the chief of police, effectively in the metaphor from earlier, by putting a guy called Nicholas Moore in charge of his new oversight agency. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later because Nicholas Moore uh, was the CEO, of course, of Macquarie Bank. And, I mean, this is possibly even worse than than putting El Capone as chief of police, actually, when we go through the details, as you'll see. Yes, so the intent of what Hayne was trying to get at, and they've twisted it again. Yeah. And put, done the opposite 
Well, that's they, right. In effect, in effect, done the opposite. Although they, yes, they're doing they what they said, did, hmm. but they're doing the opposite. That's again. right. Now, part of what has brought things to a head, though, right now at this moment, in which we have a really crucial opportunity to break the back of this, these lies and this fraud that you know Prydenberg and his government are committing, has come about because of one unique case uh, of injustice, where 140 elderly Australians um, got dudded in a scheme called the Sterling First uh, Scheme where they thought they were paying their rent up front for the rest of their lives uh, and in fact they were admired in a convoluted managed investment scheme which the government, uh, even though it admits, you know, this was a, an operation that was, uh, you know, maybe not fraud necessarily, but it was a scam. They, these people didn't know what they were signing up for. The government refu is refusing to pay these people compensation and they can't start again because these are elderly people and some of them, 17, have already died since they lost their life savings. Um, and what I want to do, we, there was an excellent show on 7.30, ABC 7.30 report this week um, which again brings this to a real political front that we can take advantage of. So I want to show a couple of clips. I'll start with this one. Have, have a look at this here. I organised this place to live here for the rest of our days. Now I have to pull it down. At the age of 84, Alex Tufekcic is packing up a lifetime of memories. He and his wife, Leonie, are due to be evicted from their home in just over a week on her birthday. A lovely little present for a lady that has been helping people as a nurse all her life. Now she's been kicked to live on the street. Alex never imagined he was at risk of becoming homeless when he paid more than $200,000 to secure a long-term lease in a house where he was told he could enjoy a comfortable retirement. Alex is one of more than 100 people to sign up to a scheme called Sterling New Life, which has turned into a nightmare that's left them destitute. With Sterling New Life, there are no weekly or ongoing fees and no exit fees when you decide to leave. In June 2019, the Sterling Group collapsed leaving most customers with losses of more than $18 million. Anger. What else could I be? We went to the solicitor and solicitor said that he looked into the case and everything seems to be legally viable and correct. You know, so this is, these are tragic stories. That's just one of them. You can read more. Uh, look in the box below for the link to an article that we've just put together because we've been working closely with many of these people. Um, you know, and you can hear, you can read in the article that we've just put out in this week's Australian Alert Service um, details. I mean, you had um, grandparents that couldn't afford to buy Christmas parents for Christmas presents for their grandchildren who couldn't take them on outings. You had um, elderly people who couldn't bear to tell their family what had happened, so they lived with this secret for years. Um, you had people that considered taking their own lives. You had people that were told by their doctors they had to get an MRI and couldn't afford to do so. And there's many of them that are living with things like cancer and other vulnerabilities. Um, so something has to be done. Um, now, I want to show another clip, and this one, uh, the 730 report here has used 
footage from the hearings, and we've talked about these hearings in the last couple of weeks of this ongoing ASIC inquiry, they've taken some of these clips to show, to really hone in on the fact that ASIC failed to do its job. So you'll hear uh, Joe Longo, the head of ASIC, and also a former ASIC investigator, Niall Coburn, and we talked about this a lot mm. last mm. week if you want more background, but we'll just play that clip. Uh, in the three to six months later, we, we could have asked more questions. Uh, but in terms of our process, the, at the time, there were several other collapses that the office was looking at in Western Australia. It's not slow of the mark, it's a failure to act. And they are two different things. A confidential internal overview after Sterling's collapse found Theta, the company legally responsible for the Sterling Income Trust, had a long history of breaches and non-compliance dating back to 2010. And an unnamed figure has a concerning history with the regulator related to other investment schemes and he was the subject of a few investigations. Now there's more good news on this front and that is a third hearing has been called which we did announce last week but that we now know the date of that which is the 15th of December um, which will enable ASIC to be put under more scrutiny because there's things that emerged in the course of those last hearings and also documents that ASIC was forced to table which show um, you know, the timeline of the various complaints that were made from 2015 very early on and which if they had been acted on would have actually prevented most of the losses from these families. The um, final report has also been pushed back to February, 1st That's of February, right. so there's been a lot more time being allowed because of the evidence that's been brought up to date. Because it's so serious. Um, now, one of the things, though, that has to be done and should be done immediately, we can't wait for February for this, is that compensation must be paid and there can be a decision, you know, Frydenberg could wave his hand and it will happen tomorrow, yeah, give yeah. these guys a, a happy Christmas, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, look, it's only $18.5 million and this for guy, all of it. What, the hypocrisy, again, he waved through $40 billion in JobKeeper. Overpayments. Overpayments, right, because you know, a number of these companies that got this payment weren't entitled to it. You know, they didn't have the 30% drop in income you're supposed to have. We'll just let them keep it. It just would have kept. There was no accountability for this, and they you don't know, take no, a fraction of that and pay forty back to billion guys. as opposed to eighteen million. Forty billion as opposed to eighteen million. But this is the hypocrisy see, of this a, government. There's a bigger issue afoot, at foot here, at hand here. ASIC can't admit this liability because that would force the government to reform the system. That would have vast and serious repercussions, which are actually the repercussions that the Royal Commission demanded. Which is what we were talking about last week on our show, Elise, is the fact that the regulator is only doing the bidding of the government. This caveat emptor, you know, this idea of let the buyer beware, let the market rule, rule sort everything out, you know, that's the philosophy of this government mm -hmm. and it's the philosophy of the regulator. What we're talking about is a regulator that's got teeth and actually goes after the sort of very disgusting products that get sold to people and do its job. Absolutely. But that's not what the government wants the regulator to do. No, and that's why we mentioned earlier that Josh Frydenberg um, created this new watchdog body to watch the regulators, as Hain demanded. So, you know, he did what he was supposed to do. This is called the Financial Regulation Assessment Authority. But back in September, we exposed the fact that he appointed Nicholas Moore, former Macquarie Bank CEO, 
Um, and we'll put up the article, Frydenberg's Fox in the Hen House makes a mockery of financial regulation that we wrote at that time, um, talking about, you know, leaving it to the law of the jungle of the marketplace. Um, Moore is also the chair of the Centre for Independent Studies, the neoliberal think tank that directed all of the financial deregulation of Australia, which we talked about at great length in last week's show. These Mont Pelerin Society think tanks from overseas dictating economic policy to every country so that the big players can game the system. This is why Australia is now a paradise for white-collar crime, and Moore was a key figure in that. Um, but it's not just Moore's ideology of not believing in any regulation whatsoever, that's the problem. His bank, Macquarie Bank, is one of the chief financial predators in Australia. And we're going to tell you a shocking story here um, which would, should make people's uh, hair curl with the effect of it in that this guy is now basically the top regulator overseeing all regulation in the country. Now this comes from, and thanks to a, a good activist of the Australian Citizens Party for putting us onto this, um, but on Sunday 28th November, ABC's background briefing program aired a really explosive story on Macquarie's involvement in an international tax scam to rip off the German tax office. It was described as the biggest, or the headline was the biggest financial scandal you've never heard of. It's called the Cumex share scandal and it was a feeding frenzy by international bankers which robbed Germany of $80 billion and one of those key players was Macquarie Bank under Nicholas Moore. Yeah, Lisa, just at this point, I find it rather amusing because the Citizens Party is actually the watchdog of the watchdog's watchdog, <laughs> right? Because you think about it, we've been talking about Macquarie Bank, it's ripping off the, the private, uh, you know, through privatisation. We go back to 1997 when we talked about the Mont Pelerin Society setting up these think tanks, of which mm. one of those things was the Centre for Independent Studies. We've been watching this for years, yeah. decades. Well ahead of you know these impacts that we're uh, yeah, experiencing. And, and this, this the, the fact that Ms. Nicholas Moore has now surfaced, you know, the, as the head of Macquarie Bank, as the head of the Centre for Independent Studies, as Joe Josh Frydenberg's go-to man, as the fox in charge of the fox, or the you know the hen house. Mm -hmm. I mean, as the regulator, is absolutely disgusting. And I think, you know, people listen. I, and I have listened to the entire background yeah. briefing. I, I just can't get over the degree of, uh, you know, bald-faced effrontery that these guys get up to mm -hmm. in destroying the, any confidence that the Australian people have in regulators or in the system. This is the nature of our banking system. This mm -hmm. is what is you know, Josh Frydenberg represents is the gatekeeper for that, you know, a, a predatory banking system that, you know, again, the Citizens Party, as the watchdog of all the watchdogs, we propose the idea of a national bank, we propose a completely different financial system with powerful regulators that, that can step in. If they had listened to us, you know, way Years back ago, when, we wouldn't be in this mess now. That's right. Um, now, so I'm going to play a couple of clips from this background briefing uh, show. This first clip describes um, the, the scam and what went on. And the key here is that it was what they would, these banks were doing was technically legal. They were exploiting loopholes. And um, earlier in the show, the background briefing had compared it to 
you know, the tricksters out on the street with the three cups with a ball under one mm -hmm. of them and they shift mm -hmm. them around to, to trick you. Magic trick. That's right. So, um, but anyway, listen to how this occurred. Each year in Germany, there's a small window when dividends are reported. And if you buy and sell shares during this window, you can claim a tax refund from the German government. The refund was for tax automatically deducted. What the Comex traders were doing was exploiting that process. Each year during that brief window, they would start loaning and trading shares among themselves. The original owner of the share would make a claim for a refund for the tax that they had paid, then loan the share to someone else who would also make a refund claim, but for taxes that had not been paid. One share, two tax refunds. The trades happened so quickly that the German tax office couldn't keep up. So the banks kept doing it, every year claiming multiple tax refunds from just one share, again and again, for years. So essentially this is a fraud, um, yeah. but the banks pretended it was legal by exploiting this loophole that Germany had not closed up. But there were plenty of warnings out there that this was illegal um, and Macquarie, in order to protect itself, which really reveals, you know, the complicity and the knowledge here, um, it didn't engage directly in the trades, but it loaned money to other banks to do it so it would be one step removed, plausible deniability. Um, however, now there's a hundred Macquarie officers, including more, named as persons of interest in a German investigation, which has already sent some bankers from other banks to jail. Uh, they're sending bankers to jail, but we never do. Oh, right. we, we make them the head of our regulators. Absolutely. I mean, this is absurd. I mean, this is what needs to happen. Now, this next clip um, from Background Briefing reports documents, including internal emails, that reveal that Macquarie was aware, well aware of these concerns, but waved their hand at it and said, ah, let's do it anyway. In late 2010, a senior executive raises serious concerns about the plan. Providing finance may be fine, but the actual trades probably have some curly tax issues. It is a bit strange that we are financing trades that we cannot get comfortable with to do ourselves. Concerns like these make their way to the apex of the company, the office of the then CEO, Nicholas Moore. One executive makes notes on what happens when he raises them with the top boss. Nicholas rang me to discuss our capital usage. Of course, when he saw the size of the overall pie, he was interested in whether Macquarie should be doing more on these trades. When I said that I understood there were concerns that none of us should be participating in this business, he said, don't worry about that, and asked if I could send him a note that explains how the deals work and who plays what role, etc., and what roles we thought the broader Macquarie could play. Nicholas Moore pushes ahead with the plan. The board asks him to seek a second opinion about the reputational and political risks, but that also comes back looking favourable. In November 2010, the board decides to go ahead. So, you know, they swept aside any concerns and just looked out for what money could be stood to be made here. Now, this is not a new scandal. Um, it's been raised in Australia's parliament in recent years, so there would be no doubt Josh Frydenberg is well aware of this. Mm. And yet, 
you know, he puts him in charge in this crucial position at this crucial time. Yeah, look, Lisa, this just goes to the heart of the matter that we've been discussing. Frydenberg, the government, has no intention of implementing the, uh, the, the recommendations of the Royal Commission, which actually recommended that financial, victims of financial crimes be recompensated back to 2008, right? So the Sterling First victims, under the terms of the Royal Commission, should have already been compensated. But this is not the intention of the government. The government is trying to protect its system, its corrupt system, by putting in regulators that are happy to look past the intention of what has actually come out of the Royal Commission and other you know, commissions of inquiry in order to protect their system. Mm -hmm. Because they have to. Yeah. Because their system is built upon you know, speculation, it's built upon fraud. It's, and you know, if we actually had a powerful regulator, it would, it, would un it would require a national bank, it would require a complete change to the system. Yeah, because it would just um, rip down the whole edifice of this current financial system, which is horribly bankrupt and it's collapsing, and you know, it would put the pin to the bubble of the whole thing hmm. um, if yeah. they were to take serious action. But so there, are, there are plenty of solutions. I mean, there are plenty of solutions in Australian history. If you go back to Ben Chifley, John Curtin, what they did to the war during, during the war with the Commonwealth Bank, having a strong national bank to support the economy, to, to fund actual real infrastructure and manufacturing, farming and so forth. There's a lot of things that can be done, but this is not the neoliberal model mm. that's in control and taken over our country at this particular time. Yeah. Now, we're moving on to our next topic now, the international fraud pushing Australia to war. Because yesterday, on the last day of Parliament, a bill known as the Magnitsky Act passed through the, the House of Representatives that had already gone through the Senate, so it's now becoming law. Um, now, to explain what this bill is, I'm going to play a clip from Parliament of Minister David Gillespie introducing the bill and he gives the backdrop of what this is about. The government will reform Australia's 2011 autonomous sanctions framework through the autonomous sanctions uh, brackets Magnitsky's style and other thematic sanctions amendments bill 2021 and the autonomous sanctions Magnitsky style and other thematic sanctions amendment regulations 2021. The reforms will ensure Australia can sanction individuals and entities responsible for or complicit in egregious conduct, including malicious cyber activity, serious human rights abuses and violations, and serious corruption. With this reform, uh, Australia introduces Magnitsky-style sanctions, as now recognised in the title of the bill. The Magnitsky movement was inspired by Sergei Magnitsky a Russian lawyer who exposed fraud committed by Russian government officials, but was subsequently, uh, consequently arrested and imprisoned. He was subjected to degrading treatment and tortured, and he died in custody on the 16th of November 2009. Through the advocacy of Bill Browder, whose firm Hermitage Capital Management, Mr Magnitsky was advising, the US Congress in 2012 passed the Magnitsky Act, banning travel and freezing assets of those Russian officials responsible. Look, this bill and the whole story it is based on is a fraud. So you basically have a case here where our parliament has adopted and made new, a new law based on a complete fraud. 
I mean, we don't have time to go into the whole story here. We'll put some links up to um, some videos we've done in the past on this because we've and we've written articles extensively into the background of this. We've worked on financial experts around the globe. Um, we'll play some clips in a minute um, regarding that. Uh, basically, in a nutshell, uh, Sergei Magnitsky and his advocate Bill Browder were the one. They were the ones committing the fraud against Russia in a not a, in dissimilar way to what we just described. Mm with the looting of the German tax department, um, actually. But, I mean, I happened to be driving home yesterday, Craig, uh, listening to these hearings in Parliament, and it was quite obvious to me that these parliamentarians absolutely have no idea what they're even weighing into. They have no idea of the background of this story. I mean, Labor MP Brendan O'Connor um, couldn't even pronounce Magnitsky's name. He tripped over it several times, even calling him... Magtitsky, uh, which is interesting, uh, but you know we and and he repeated numerous of the common lies and mistruths that have been promoted by Bill Browder, including in the in hearings in the Australian Parliament when there was an inquiry on this legislation. Um, we've repeatedly exposed this story, including in that inquiry where we made a joint submission with Brett Harris. Um, call out to him and his work. He's an activist that's tirelessly campaigned against this fraud. Uh, we've worked with legendary investigative reporter Lucy Commissar, who also made a critical submission with, you know, um, really extensive documentary evidence on this case, which was heavily redacted, I might add, by the committee. Former Australian ambassador Tony Kevin was the only opponent of this bill who was able to testify at the inquiry. Um, so it was all, the truth was actually glossed over for the best part so that the parliamentarians had no clue what this was really about. The gist of the story is that William Browder and his Russian lawyer, um, uh, Sergei, or account, accountant, I should say, because they say he was a lawyer, he was actually just the accountant, Sergei Magnitsky, exposed a $230 million tax fraud by Russian officials um, who arrested Magnitsky and tortured him to death in prison. But everything about that narrative in the way that, that, it, that it's presented is a complete fraud. In an interview with the Citizens Party in 2020, <clears throat> Lucy Commissar explains how she was investigating corruption and learned about tax havens, which is how she met Bill Browder in 2000. So we'll roll that clip from her, which gives you an insight. And what was so interesting was that the opposition movements in those countries on three different continents all told me the dictator has looted the country, stolen the money, and stashed it in Swiss banks. What? Swiss banks? I didn't know anything about Swiss banks. I think sometimes if you, if you saw a, a, a film, a, a thriller, there might be something about somebody going to a Swiss bank account to put money in Swiss banks. But that was just in the movies. I found out. It wasn't just in the movies, it was very real. So I started looking into this uh, very seriously. And that, that took me to William Browder, Bill Browder, because uh, when I, I went to Moscow in the year 2000, I went to a meeting uh, run by a, a law firm. And um, um, one thing that was so funny, not funny after years later, uh, they gave out leaflets, which I still have, uh, advertising Mossack Fonseca. You can get a company. We can set you up a company with Mossack Fonseca. As you know, that's the famous Panama Papers. Mm -hmm. And Bill Browder 
Bill Browder was at that meeting and I had been looking into Avisma. Avisma is a titanium company, titanium in Russia. Titanium is used uh, in airplanes. It's a metal, it's used in airplanes and, and in other products. And I'd heard that he'd been up to some funny business. Uh, in fact, he was doing uh, transfer pricing together with his partners, Kenneth Dart, who's the billionaire owner of Dart Cups and, and, a, and another guy from New York. Transfer pricing is when you buy, you, you, you have a product, you sell it to a shell company. In this case, it was the Isle of Man for a very low fake price, which means you pay your minority shareholders very little and you pay taxes that are very little. Yeah. Then yeah. your shell company on the Isle of Man or someplace like that sells it on a real price on the real market and you keep the rake off. I'd heard he was up to that. And I asked a question at the meeting where he spoke and he started attacking me. And whenever I, I do something to fight corruption in this country, there are people that want to attack me. When I went out the coffee break, the other reporters laughed a lot because they knew he was a crook. So in other words, years before Browder claimed to have exposed a tax fraud working with Magnitsky, Lucy Commissar inadvertently hit upon the fact that Browder was involved in large-scale tax fraud and she confronted him on it and, you know, there were attempts to sideline her. So that goes back to 2000. Um, now, I want to show another video. Uh, activist, our supporter, Brett Harris, made this video that proves Bill Browder misled the Australian Senate uh, during the hearing. So he shows a clip of... Uh, Browder addressing the Australian Parliament from those hearings and contrasts it with a deposition that Browder made in New York and there's hours of this deposition available online. I mean, you can see just on the face of it that this guy's dodgy as anything and he's lying because that comes out in the dialogue um, about, you know, how um, in this case, this particular example is about how um, Magnitsky was supposedly put on trial in Russia after he died. So we'll roll that clip. And in the most shocking miscarriage of justice, three years after murdering Sergei Magnitsky, the Russian government put him on trial in the first ever trial against a dead man in the history of Russia. It became obvious to me through this process that we were not going to get justice for Sergei Magnitsky in Russia, and we needed to get justice outside of Russia. So this is an English translation along with the Russian in the back. Uh, judgment in the name of the Russian Federation. Um, and if you go to the end of it, uh, it convicts you of tax evasion, correct? Yes. And you have said many times that uh, Mr. Magnitsky was uh, convicted posthumously. You've said that? Yes. And on the first page, it appears that it's dismissed against Mr. Magnitsky, correct? No. Under paragraph 4 of Article 24 of the Code of Criminal Procedure of the Russian Federation. Do you see that? Yes. So he wasn't convicted posthumously, right? You were wrong about that. No. Sentence only refers to you, correct? I see my name here. 
William Felix Browder found guilty of committed two crimes, and then it goes on, right? Correct. And there's nothing about Mr. Magnitsky being convicted of anything, correct? I'm not a Russian criminal lawyer, so I couldn't um, make a judgment about this. Uh... Look, so this bill has now passed into law on the basis of a, a complete fabric of lies, and I urge you to you know, learn more about the whole story by clicking on the relevant links below. Um, but it now will mean that our parliament can pick any individual to be sanctioned. So we don't have to go and sanction, put sanctions on a whole country through some United Nations convoluted process. We can just pick an individual in China, say, <laughs> for want of a better example. But um, that's exactly what it's actually aimed at, to be able to sanction officials in government to prevent the kind of diplomacy that we need to get countries working together at this critical moment yeah, in history. This, this whole push has been, this whole law has been pushed by people that want war with China. Alisa, this is the insanity of this entire fraud. It's got nothing to do with, uh, with human rights violations or anything. The fact is, you know, they want to target things like the abuses on, like with the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, which is, we've actually shown through our Australian Alert Service, is another complete fraud. They want to use this as a pretext to attack China. And this is very dangerous because this will, you know, this, this whole escalation to war with China is not going to be just conventional war, it'll be nuclear war. And it's good to hear, you know, this week in particular, we'll be starting to see some pushback against this whole agenda by this war party, you know, the Wolverines, as we used to refer, refer them to in the, in the parliament, against this push for war. I mean, more and more uh, sane heads are starting to speak out. There was a speech uh, you know, by Penny Wong this last week where she was actually calling for a return to more saner, uh, calmer diplomatic relations with China, which is very good to hear. I mean, look, this government's run by its use by date. It stinks. It's destroying people's lives. We've gone through that chapter and verse. It protects the banks. Mm. Now, we've, we know that you know, this, this law, this Magnitsky law, has been pushed by, in particular, the Labor Party, which is also stinks. But when you look at, when you look at which, which way this government is going and how much you know, Peter Dutton is pushing for war, mm. this government's used-by date's finished. Yep. We need to be in Parliament. Our Citizens' Party needs to be in Parliament. We're going to be looking at Senate slates coming up in the new year. There's a lot of things that people should keep an eye open as far as the Citizens' Party is concerned. But our, our policy is that we want to have peace through economic development. We've talked about this for decades. We want to have China as a partner in the development of our own country. I mean, we've got no high-speed rail in this country whatsoever. None. Not, not even a kilometre of it. Yet China has something like 25,000 plus kilometres of high-speed rail you know, and magnetic levitation trains. There is an enormous amount that we can do if we just throw off this neoliberalism agenda, throw off this, uh, you know, this human rights excuse of, for war, like, war, uh, like with the Magnitsky Act, and get around actually supporting through real just policies the sort of compensation that many, many victims need. I mean, we've got a, in the, we've got a chart, this particular um, Alert service. Alert service, which shows $40 billion of rip-offs through... To 200,000 Australians. 200,000 Australians. These sorts of policies are the policies that we need, where we can support, yeah. you know, support our Australian citizens and stop the banks from ripping off, uh, and through frauds and all sorts of things, the Australian people. So get involved in our campaign. Make sure you put your submission into the Regional Banking Task Force. You can find the links below to 
get more involved, join us as a member. Subscribe to the Australian Alert Service. If you want to see a sample copy, we'll send you a free one out. Just click on the link. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, that's all we've got time for. Yep. For this week, thanks, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. And join us again. Oh, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. <laughs> and join <laughs> us again next week.